come with me into the tormented, haunted, half-lit night of the insane. This is my work. Let me lead you into it. Let me take you into the mind of a woman who is mad. Hi, and welcome to Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, a good ghoul's guide to horror. I'm your poltergeist, Kinsey. I'm your polter guide, Donna. I'm your polter guide, Debbie. I'm your polter guide, Adrian. I'm your polter guest, Britain. Yay! <laughs> we have our good friend Britain back with us. Heck Hi, yeah. thanks for having me. You are welcome. For sure. Always like having you. He always shows up in these ugly damn shirts, though. <laughs> you mean this beautiful burnt orange? Ugh. <laughs> Ugh. We had to, I'm sorry. We can move on now. I just had to. <laughs> Donna has had her moment. She is good. And this week, with our guest suggestion, we have watched the 2008 film Midnight Meat Train. Let's go around. Have you seen it? Did you like it? All that good stuff. I had not heard of it until Britain told me it existed. So, no, I hadn't seen it before. Um, in the watching of it, I didn't like it at all. In, in the watching of it, I was not enjoying it in the slightest um, with some time between watching it and now um i'm it's growing on me so in in hindsight i it's growing on me. i also had not heard of it um or watched it it's oh it was i you know <laughs> i was not prepared for it it'd been a while since i'd seen a movie like that uh with all the gore and such and i was not a fan <laughs> Well, Adrian was on. We were we were streaming it um, over Discord and watching it together, and so Adrian got to hear all my uh, reactions. All of my react. Well, I'd tell you, but I can show you guys my reaction. It was a lot of <laughs> <laughs> just just cringe. Just there was a lot of cringe. oh Jesus Christ from me. Adrian, go ahead. Uh, I had seen it before. I actually have this movie on DVD, and uh, I've read the short story that it's based on <laughs> um but uh i actually I, like i like the gore i think it's fun watching it this time i'm like oh wow that's a lot of cg that i didn't remember there being um because that's how cg works it gets older and you're like oh there you are i see you now um i really enjoyed the uh gory scenes I like the death in this movie. I think that most of the death scenes are kind of fun, uh, a little ridiculous, but fun. Um, however, on this watch, uh, I noticed a lot of problematic story elements. And so I was like, man, is that, does, do those exist in the story too? And so I kind of went back and uh, reread the short story and I was like, wow, this is really fucking racist <laughs> in a lot of places. Um, even, even the short story. So that's a little bit of a bummer, but man, like a plus on these death scenes. I, I'm way closer to, uh, Adrian in that I've seen it and I had fun with it, watching it again. <laughs> um, I'd never seen the director's cut, which I watched for this, uh, this podcast, but, uh, it, I, yeah, I had a lot of fun. Like the death scenes I thought were innovative and, you know, he hits a guy with a hammer and his eyeball pops out. I mean, that's just... Sam Raimi. Oh, we're spoiling. I'm sorry. But it, it, poor, it's, poor Sam it, Raimi. 
It was it's Ted. His bro- it's, it's Ted. It's his brother. Oh, yeah. it's Ted. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> For Ted Ramey. Yeah. Ted. But, uh, I, I don't know. He was trying to get his wife to go three ways. So maybe he deserved that. Yeah, she and did she not, did not. She, yeah, she was not into it. She wasn't excited about this whole thing. No. Uh, but yeah, I had a lot of fun with it. And uh, I thought it was really well done in a lot of places. Um, like you said, Adrian, this, there were some weird story parts that, you know, I suspended my disbelief and just went with it. And in the end, had a fine time. I think that this movie is mostly about the deaths. Like, like this is a horror movie for gore lovers. Yeah. 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 yeah I, I hadn't seen this yet. I had heard of it. Um, I, I'm kind of with Team Adrian and, and Team Brit here. I, I like the gore. The gore was fun. And the the deaths were fun. The CGI ball was a little bit ridiculous. And I do agree with you, Adrian, that when CGI shows up, if it's been a while, you're like, oh, yeah. Yeah. I think Jurassic Park is like the only movie that escapes that. (laughs) Yeah. Agreed. Now, for those of you that haven't seen Midnight Meat Train, don't know what it's about, our good, good buddies. This is what happens. Gladys Knight sang about it. (laughs) This is train. <laughs> the midnight meat train to Georgia. <laughs> That's exactly it. Podcast over, guys. That's all you need to know. Yeah. Yep. Oh, well, I'm uh, not going to disagree with you, but I think IMDB will. And they're going to tell you that a photographer's obsessive pursuit of dark subject matter leads him into the path of a serial killer who stalks late night commuters, ultimately butchering them in the most gruesome ways. It was pretty gruesome. It was okay. It's not wrong. Um, Again, it's pretty dry. Like, I don't know, man. I feel like there's some challenge going on at IMDb. Like describe this movie in the most boring way you can think of. Um, But it is accurate. It's it's better than a lot of IMDb (laughs) descriptions. Is he really a serial killer or is he just like, you know, a meat purveyor? If you don't know, if you don't know the end, then yeah, he's a serial killer. Once you, right. once you get to the end, then you're like, oh, oh. it's just his job. He's yeah. just doing his job. <laughs> so I, I guess we should have put the spoiler warning at the very beginning. Shame on us. Well. Isn't, any, isn't anyone listening to this podcast uh, you know, isn't it assumed that there will be spoilers? We still yeah. give the courtesy, you know, we just try. like, you know, that, hey, we'll be in spoiler territory pretty fast. Usually within the first 10 minutes for us, it was six and a half. So, you know. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, warning, I'm going to spoil everything I can. All right. So you have been adequately warned. Let's start with a, a negative. Yeah, there was some problematic stuff going on. Um Let's start with the portrayal of non-white people. Every single non-white person in this movie had a weapon um, and was incredibly violent for no fucking reason. With the exception of the Asian rape victim or would-be rape victim. Who was then crazy slutty towards him. Right. right. And I'm not trying to like slut shame, like do what you want to do and everything, but also like you just got out of a rape and now you're just going to be like, Hey old man, let me full on face kiss you. Like that character, no woman was in that writer's room. No. And then when she got on the train and she just sat down and started bopping to her music, I'm like, no, she's going to sit there and shudder and gasp and call somebody 
she's going to react to that. I mean, she had a knife on her face. No, what she's going to do is leave the subway and take a cab. Yeah. 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 I, I cannot imagine any woman that would continue to go on to the subway car. Um, but if they did, if, 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 I can't imagine that they would sit and put their headphones on and be completely disconnected from the train ride yeah. with all of that space behind them. Like, even when I lived in New York and I rode the subway, I always, always, always sat on the side seats where you could see the train car, especially if I was going to have headphones in. Yep. The, uh, I think the character that bothered me is the one, I think he's listed as Guardian Angel. Um, you, mean, was- you mean Rampage Jackson? <laughs> uh, he's, the, he's the MMA fighter. Yeah, well, he came in and his, you know, the big scary black dude with the beret. And then the first thing he did was he walked up to Mahogany and tried to scare him. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm that like, that was fucking weird, dude. Yeah, it's like that could have been that scene could have been very different. That that character should have been a sympathetic character instead yeah. of being an aggressive, um, frightening character. Yeah, that's what the guardian angels are all about. You know, mm-hmm. they're 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 not out to scare people on the subway and they go, oh, yeah. just kidding. I'm a guardian angel. If anything happens, I'm down for it. You know? Yeah. So and then, of course, the cop um, who was cold and weird through the whole thing. And then it tur- turns out it's because, you know, she's in on it. Well, the second mm-hmm. time we see her, she's got a, a, a necklace that's the same star as his ring. Oh, I oh, missed yeah. that. But we, I don't recall seeing that in the first scene with her. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was. I, I think you're right. I think it was that second scene because it was like, oh, we are telegraphing that she's in on it. When she's talking to Maya and she's kind of bend over the, the desk and the necklace is hanging, you know, from her neck. Mm-hmm. And we had mm-hmm. already seen the hand grip the door with the right. uh, the mo- the model that he kills. And, and then when he grabs him on the street we see the hand with the ring too so they're they're really putting it out there they're really giving you the clues that and and the fact that the conductor comes out you know during one of benny's first fight scenes and kind of saves benny or sorry uh what's his name mahogany uh you know we we begin to understand that it's more than just this guy that there's a conspiracy going on yeah um britain did you say that Vinny is a friend of yours no no don't know Vinny. Okay. I thought I remembered you telling me that you had a friend in this film. Am I just making that up? I think so. Uh, okay. I don't think I know anybody in this movie. I am related to several of these actors in what I call the ER siblinghood. Oh, yeah? Uh, oh, yeah. Leslie Bibb was in an episode of ER, and the detective, Barbara Eve Harris, was in an episode of ER. And, um, the Six think, Degrees uh, of ER. <laughs> I think uh, Otto the guy that owns the the restaurant that Maya works in was in an episode of ER. So we're all ER brothers and sisters. Yeah, there's a lot of people in this that it's like, oh, I know you. I know you. I know you. Yeah. And they all are sort of tenuously connected too. like the, the DP was the DP on Transformers the last night. And there's another actor. Uh, the detective was in Transformers last night. Um, the uh, the guy that plays the conductor and the guy that plays Otto were both in uh, Ray Donovan. I mean, there's a sort of a lot of crossover between the, the cast and crew. Well, the conductor is also, uh, he played, um, 
in Doctor Who. Crap. Um, Van Gogh. The Van he played Van Gogh in Doctor Who. All right. <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah. I had to go look up Josh Bart because I knew I had seen him in something. And I Roger guess Bart. it must yeah. Roger Bart. Roger Bart. Yeah, thank you. Um, and I guess it must have been how I met your mother. Have you seen uh, the he producers? Was, he's in the producers. I yeah, have yes. like once. I've seen it once. Okay. So um, but I think it must have been how I met your mother. That's all I well, can figure. He's also one of the husbands in Desperate Housewives, if you watch that show. I did watch, yeah, that's probably what it was. I did watch. He was he was the in the gay couple. I think he was in the gay couple. I can't remember. I only watched the first season of Desperate okay. Housewives. But he's in, you know, he's in Revenge. He's in Trumbo. I mean, he's been around. Okay. Well, and I like with him, especially during this time, he's 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 stamping his horror punch card because he did this. He's in Hostel 2. Uh, <laughs> technically, I think I want to say he's also in the Stepford Wives remake that was also around this this time. I, I, I like that. I appreciate that. I forgot that the Stepford Wives remake was a thing that existed. So did I until that that moment. <laughs> that, yeah. Y'all are welcome. <laughs> are we? Are we welcome? Yes. Yes. This is the service I provide. <laughs> All right. So what else we got? I thought the uh, cinematography was really good. Uh, they did some cool stuff. Like I noticed that every time they went into the subway, they used like a blue filter, which really made the blood stand out when that started happening. And it was, you know, much more of a, a calm light, like a yellow filter they used kind of when they were in the uh, uh, the diner. Um, but I noticed every time we went underground, um, and I think even in the meatpacking scene, they're using this like subtle blue filter, but it, it puts this sort of interesting patina on on the, the visuals. Makes it cold. And yeah. Um, yeah, I hadn't noticed that. But now that you mentioned it, I'm like, yeah, I remember just that that feeling uh in those scenes and the cinematographer is like he his body of work he's got some really good action stuff he did john wick which i rewatched last night and mm. that, i mean that looks really good deadpool 2 max Payne, the day to die hard atomic wand i mean this guy's got a really good action pedigree yeah he's got an eye because those are those are solid the um the tracking shot from when um mahogany knocked the 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 wife's head off and then we come in on tight close up on her eye and then pull back that's probably one of my favorite scenes in the movie that's really good oh, I, I have a note about that too the pov from the t- decapitated head like you you know you're looking at this uh neck with no head on it you're like what is this camera angle oh it's her eyes she's still seeing it mm-hmm. for the last couple seconds and then yeah. you know that same that same scene with the the butcher hook to the crotch oh. I mean, this is just some good gore man it's really like okay so this is a sentence that i really didn't expect myself to ever say but like a plus on the violence here this is some really good violence it's innovative and fun you know like it's not mm-hmm. just chopping a guy's head off yeah uh, you know when he hits the the would-be rape victim when he hits her i mean it's obviously cgi but like that hammer just makes her head just squish to the side yeah yeah it's, it's i think it's a lot of this stuff is really well done well it that, is that scene is kind of why i was so taken by surprise by the uh the attack on ted ramey and, and his friends because 
you know, the butcher walks up behind her and hits her and you just see her head turn and her hair falls in her face. And there was, there was no blood or nothing, uh, right. which, which kind of sets an expectation. You're like, okay, this is, this is the level of violence I should be prepared for. And then the next thing you know, an eyeball flies at the camera. Right. Well, the very first, the opening scene is uh, the bald guy slipping in blood and, and, you know, the, the next murder we see is that, that model. And there is no blood in that one. It's just the hit to the head. And then the, the Ted Raimi scene, I actually made a note, like, who's cleaning up the subway cars after this? Yeah, I wondered. <laughs> like, there is so much blood. In the book, the, the subway crew cleans it up. Like, the entire subway crew is actually in on the whole thing. The yeah. subway driver totally knows where he's driving to, has conversations with the butcher. Um, well, conversations. It's implied that he has had conversations, though... Um, there's really only one incident in the story. Like the story is one subway trip, basically like intro to the characters. They go on a subway trip. It's the midnight meat train. Da, 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 the end. <laughs> but you're, oh, okay. you're describing like a vast conspiracy. Yes. Like the, the whole it subway. is 100% old gods conspiracy. Like this is the racism fits because it's an HP Lovecraft story, basically. Wow. And so mm. they're all getting together on 4chan to figure out what to do next. <laughs> I mean, pre well, let's see. When did this? It's Books of Blood, so probably not 4chan. Okay. That's <laughs> um, let's see. When did this come out? Oh, that's a publisher's intro. I don't want a publisher's intro. I just want to know when this. Okay, so like this version on my phone came out in 2013, but I feel pretty strongly that Books of Blood is older than that. Yeah, right? books. Yeah, books of blood. It's like eighties. Yeah, I want to say it's eighties. Yeah, I think so too. Um, but for some reason, it's really fucking hard to find the original release date of books. They don't give you that information anywhere. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it is a vast conspiracy full of people. There's actually even a part in the book in the in the story where mahogany is like musing to himself about how he hopes that the police catch him so that they can take him to court and it, the word from on high could come down that yes he did it nobody cares let him go well some of the or at least one of the articles that he's looking at when he does his research uh it, it's just a flash but it's like something along the lines of you know butcher suspected in killings and and it it the charges went away Mm -hmm. So, I mean, clearly, by that rationale, the conspiracy goes way up the ladder to Tammany Hall, you know? Yeah. Um, if I had, like, the, I, I feel like this book does the same thing that a lot of stories based on writings do, which is it shorthands a lot of things in a way where if I had not read the story, I'd be like, the fuck is going on? Um, mm -hmm. The biggest example I always use for this is um, Ender's Game. Because when I watched the Ender's Game movie, I was like, man, it's a really good thing I read this book because otherwise I would have no fucking idea what's going on because all they do is like mention the event and then move on. Um, and I feel like that happens a bit here, too, where it's like it just leaves a lot of things unexplained that are really like asking for an explanation. Like who's cleaning the subway car? Why isn't anybody paying attention to this? Or how when Vinny gets off or sorry, Mahogany gets off the subway he is completely spotless mm -hmm. yeah. yeah and in the book <laughs> he's completely spotless probably 
because he has taken a trip down to the underworld, visited an eldritch god, um, and then gone to the same place where they clean up the subway car. They've given him new outfit and cleaned him up and sent him on his way. Well, it's obvious when they go into his his apartment, there's all those different suits of clothes in plastic. So he's obviously got the same outfit. He's obviously ruining a bunch of outfits. Yeah. He's, got, <laughs> he's got a whole bunch of them in the closet. Yeah, exactly. Something I remember was they were so so they talk about how, you know, they're keeping the two worlds separate by, you know, providing meat to the underlings or whatever we, what are they called do they have a name morlocks the morlocks yeah they don't they're not given a name in the book um well actually that's not true they call themselves the fathers and they explain that they are basically um the creators of new york city um they they one like one of the things that's not really present in the movie that is in the book is this like love like this tainted love for new york city the main character is in love with the city and ha- you know had always wanted to live there and then he moved there and he's like oh this place is just as fucked as everywhere else um and so it talks a lot about like the the viol- the undercurrent of violence and stuff like that and so when he meets them they tell him and it's like a whole horde of people it's not like one dude who rips out his tongue um he meets the whole horde of people as they come in and eat these eat the meat right and i guess in the movie what i noticed was so the meat train pulls up and it's got about 10 bodies on it i guess hanging and so i was like okay the number of of um creatures that file onto this train and eat this meat you know is either low enough that like why are we serving them why are we catering to them um we could go in and wipe them out um or there's other meat trains going on throughout the city or world or you don't know i mean to invoke a little bit of dungeons and dragons maybe these creatures have uh, invulnerability to normal weapons you know we didn't ever see them fight right so maybe knives and maybe and uh the the people that they recruit, like Mahogany, it's implied that they have superhuman strength. So something about the, the conversion to that changes them in a way, right? Um, and it may have something to do with like the scars that they put on, on the chest of Leon and Mahogany. Both of them mm-hmm. have the same scars on their chest. Um, so I don't know, but it, it is certainly implied, whether it's explicitly said, that they are more powerful than a normal human being. And you see Vinny do some stuff in the film that, you know, he throws people across the subway car right. and stuff like that. Yeah. So what was the deal with the slicing when Vinny was slicing the... Yeah, that was a big question in my head, too. Himself? And why is he saving it? That's not in the book. I can't answer that. That's, it's, that's, that's not in the book at all. That's just gross. That's just... That, that's, that's just that is. And what, what were they? Like, I mean, they... It looked like, you know a skin tag, but grown, Mm -hmm. blown up 4,000%, you know? Yeah. I don't, I don't have any idea. And I actually went back to the book and was looking through it because I was like, the fuck did I miss that? What is going on? Um, It describes like, like one of the things that the book talks about is how he's getting older and he's actively looking for like a replacement, not actively, like he's considering looking for a replacement. So when he meets the main character who is not Bradley Cooper's photographer character, 
he um he and 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 this character ends up killing him he's like oh of course he killed me i'm getting old and i needed a replacement anyway guess he's my replacement now um but it so it describes his body as being like older and you know he's still in shape but he's he's losing muscle definition and it also talks about him having like acne all over his body but um that's the closest (laughs) that we get to whatever the fuck is going on in the movie yeah i thought it was some kind of like cancerous stuff growing throughout his body and i I watched this uh movie with ian and he said uh it reminded him of of um kind of like the cthulhu type like he's transforming into something else because he's doing all these things you know or is involved in all of this and and maybe that's what they're going for i mean it would make some sense um because it is a it is an eldritch old god story that like there is a fucking tentacle monster in the book and we got a hint of one in the movie too with with whatever marked bradley cooper yeah you know there's a couple of scenes where Vinny uh, mahogany sorry I'll stop doing that. Uh, <laughs> like starts coughing. And, you know, I think in the first time he does it, he coughs up a little blood, but it's not like in combat or something. Um, so it, it's clear, kind of like you were saying, Adrian, that he's feeling the effects of, of having done this for many, many years. And, you know, whether he's getting sick or, or I don't know, but it's clear that he's not a game, but still very formidable, you know? Mm-hmm. Was, do you think the tentacle monster was was the conductor? Because when the conductor came out the first time and I saw him, I was like, that looks like something wearing a skin suit. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't quite look right. I didn't. I took him to be another human, um, you know, especially because he uses, he uses a gun. You know, I, in my opinion, if he was, you know, an alien in disguise or a monster in disguise, he would have just rushed in there and crushed his head or something, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Why did he eat the tongue at the end? I don't know, but that was really weird. <laughs> that was really weird. Uh, so um, some of us watched the director's cut and some of us didn't, but I did spend some time this morning researching the difference between the two and the difference between the two is, is apparently pretty minor. It's just the director's cut is more gory. But one comment it made was that the chewing the tongue scene went on quite a bit longer in the director's cut. <laughs> in, the, in the theatrical release, he kind of has a little snack and goes on. So, well, well thank God we got that director's cut because you know that's we what need you some chunk to some chunk tongue chewing. Yeah. <laughs> Can we talk for a minute about the really odd sex scene? Uh, between yes. Maya and Leon. I yes, like please. That, yeah. Where he's like, I can't imagine my life without you. And then basically is super forceful and rapey. Yeah. And then they had that close up on her face. And I'm like, is this a rape scene? What the fuck is happening? Yeah. Cause she, the music was nice, but then you see her face and it's like, no, she's not into that. That struck me as she's into it with her hot boyfriend. And then all of a sudden he does something weird. And she's like, I don't understand what's happening. That's, yeah. that's how it read yeah. to me. But I have. I'll, all right. I guess. I, I've seen this movie a few times and every time I watch it, that scene happens. And I'm like, is the, it, mm, mm. it just, 
It just feels wrong. It, yeah. yeah, it feels it feels very much like the conversation in the subway where the guy's trying to get his wife to sleep with this other guy. Like it feels like there's this woman in the room and she's being used as a sexual object and she's just not that into it. Um, in fact, the only girl in this movie that seems to be into a sexual thing at all is the near rape victim who full on mouth kisses the stranger who rescued her from a rape. After, though, he got the photos that he needed. Right. Yeah, I like that he didn't even seem to feel guilty <laughs> until until she looked at him and was like, oh, yeah, I'm taking pictures of this, but I'm doing absolutely fucking nothing. It's like a nature photographer who just watches the lion eat the gazelle. See, and like, and this is a big change from the book, too, because like in the book, I think he's a fucking... Um, um, Okay, so my brain's doing that thing where I need a simple everyday word and it's giving me fucking arithmetician, which I don't even think is a word. A mathematician? Not a mathematician. And he does things for people. Um, like, you know, an accountant. That's it. <laughs> um, I think There's he's an, account- an accountant. On this podcast. I know. <laughs> and you failed me, arithmetician. <laughs> um, but I think he's a I think he's an accountant. Um and so the addition, like making him be this photographer who is going out and seeking these really dark, sketchy, candid shots, I feel like that's a change that must be made for a reason. And I want somebody to explain that reason to me. The explanation is Brooke Shields. We don't get to see her smarmy ass unless he's a photographer looking for something, you know, like a gallery opening. I mean, that's fair. I'm down for anything that lets me see Brooke Shields, really. And she was really good in this. She was, this, this. Yeah. She I, was I, super I, weird. Like, that's a yeah. weird fucking character, yeah. but she's great. Yeah. Can I say one thing about Brooke Shields? Because when she first appeared on screen, I was like, damn, she looks familiar. And then after <laughs> after a couple of minutes, I was like, man, that chick really looks like Brooke Shields. <laughs> And it wasn't until I went to look up the cast list, I was like, oh, oh, it is Brooke Shields. (laughs) This had a really, like, and I'm going to say this, and I want everybody to know that this is in no way a dig at B-movies or this movie or anything. This is a really A-list cast for what looks and feels and appears to be kind of a B-horror movie. I think it's the year before uh, Wedding Crashers. So Bradley Cooper hadn't blown up just yet. Oh, and weird. Then, like, my brain has filled him in as being a big deal for, like, ever. That's weird. Yeah, I, th- I think he was, uh, I, he went to Juilliard, I believe, and I think he graduated in 2000. So, hmm. you know, eight years after, hmm. you know, nine years I just want to give a shout out to all the Juilliard graduates like Bradley Cooper and um, Alan Tudyk, who spend their careers doing ridiculous, amazing shit. It's funny that you said that, because the as soon as as soon as Britain mentioned Juilliard, my brain went to that video of Alan Tudyk clucking <laughs> like a chicken and then looking at the camera and saying, "I went to Juilliard." Yeah, well, like his la- like he fucking voiced like two or three animal sidekicks in Disney movies. Now it's wild. Yeah. That's a good uh, North Texas boy. He's from Plano. <laughs> Is he? Yeah. Oh, that's uh, awesome. I mean, not for him, Texas. Ugh. You know, you know, you know who else went to Juilliard? Did you? Group, group 31 had Nathan Basil in it. Oh, yeah? Really? Yeah. yeah. Ah. 
See, look at this. I love it. I love Juilliard. Juilliard's the best. It gives me all of the best character horror movie animal actors. Good job, Juilliard. Thank you. Thank you for your service. <laughs> oh, gosh. So um, would anyone, just just for me, would anyone like to summarize what the fuck this movie is actually about? I know we're halfway <laughs> through now, so maybe we should have done this earlier, but just just summarize for me what's going on in this movie. I think I can. Okay. There is a group of aliens or supernatural type creatures that live below the streets of New York City and they feed on humans. So at some point, a hundred or so years ago, the humans made a deal that they wouldn't come and attack the city and just cause havoc if they would be provided with their meat. And so they put together this cabal of people that provided human flesh for the monsters. I wonder if at any point there was an effort to say, hey, would you like to just try some pig? Just here, here's some, try, just try <laughs> the pig. People say it's similar. Not, not in taste. It's not similar in taste. It's similar in like uh, consistency. Like it's a good ballistic simulation. I need to know real quick. Are you speaking from experience? <laughs> <laughs> no, but... <laughs> Because I'm concerned. <laughs> Can, cannibals have said that humans taste oh, like gotcha. chicken and chicken does not okay. taste like pork. That's true. So I just use the transitive property of mathematics. That makes sense. We have He's a, an we arithmetician. Have a arithmetician. <laughs> I'm a, yeah. um, I think my assumption here is that since we are talking about elder gods, that they can't eat pig. Like it has to. Uh, okay. I'm about to oh, say a bunch of bullshit that I don't believe. It has to have a soul. It has to be a sentient living thing. Side note, I think animals are sentient. And I think souls are bullshit. But anyway, um, so it has to be human, have the indescribable human quality in order to sustain them. That pizzazz that is humanity. <laughs> the pizzazz. Oh, the whatever bullshit people put on humans that make us special. So basically you're saying that to these eldritch, eldritch gods, humans are like the steak that Jurgis is eating and that pigs would be like that nasty tofu patty that Leon wanted him to cook. Yes. Oh, yes, exactly. That's, 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 oh, that's really good. And I wonder if that's an intentional thing on the movie's part. We have to assume it is, but that's really good. Why was that tofu scene in there? I, mean, I don't know because it's not in the fucking book. <laughs> it's such a weird thing. It is such a weird thing. And like the changes like that, I, I, I just, I want to know more about them. I want to, I want to talk to people involved and be like, please tell me why you made this decision. What am I missing in this movie that would have made this click for me? The decision was made here. Help me. Yeah. I was thinking, you know, so he was eating tofu and then he switches over to meat after he's had this near death experience. And so I was like, maybe he want, you know, he's like, all right, fuck it. I'm going to eat some meat. Um, but then, uh, you know, kind of going back to the whole, you know, you're maybe, maybe changing, you know, and becoming something else and they're eating meat, you know, I don't know. But then he dips his fingers in his friend's plate and sucks on him. Like, that's such a weird. Oh, I must have like looked away for that part. What happened? Super oh, yeah. rude. Like, 
I am pretty free with my food for the most part. And like my friends tend to steal things off my plate because I usually don't eat everything on my plate anyway. But if somebody licked their fucking fingers and put it in my food, I would be like, excuse you, leave and never speak to me again, you motherfucker. Don't put your fucking licked fingers on my food. To be fair, he didn't lick them until afterwards. I don't know where the fuck his fingers have been. (laughs) <laughs> like there's a difference between picking up a piece that you intend to eat this is why i don't let my kid touch all the fucking cookies on the plate like touch what you're gonna eat don't touch my sauce that's gonna touch everything else motherfucker Ugh. such vitriol <laughs> don't fuck with people's food fair enough which is really honestly the moral of the entire movie so he should have fucking known better yeah he's been fucking with the with the their food the whole time mm-hmm this is what happens. That's the through line. I think you've just discovered the through line. <laughs> what, I, I don't understand why. Like, So we talked about the weird sex scene and how aggressive he got with the person he could not imagine his life without. And then, you know, later she comes home and finds him with all the newspaper clippings and he starts, you know, deep diving, you know, total QAnon. Like, I figured it all out. It's all connected. And everybody's in on it and blah 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 and then uh then the, the there's another scene where he comes home he's all messed up and he goes to the the bathroom and she's like i'm calling it an ambulance and he comes out and he knocks the phone out of her hand yeah and like pushes her up okay. against the fridge it's like why are you so aggressive with this woman you love like the woman that you can't imagine your life without and like on the street if somebody's calling 911 and you knock the phone out of their hand, you get charged with a terrorist action, like preventing somebody from calling for aid. Like, I, I know somebody that got charged with that. It's it's a big deal. Like, why are you doing this to this woman you love? I think that they're trying to show us that he's losing control. But, but what, like, what caused the, it? Well, yeah, like, he, like that's he's the not even in that deep. That's the question. I mean, you could say that he's got some sort of PTSD going on or that he has been infected with this old God knowledge already, because like, that's one of the things that happens in these eldritch stories all the time is people get a glimpse of it and they start to lose their mind. But very very Lovecraftian. Yeah, it is. But the problem that I see with that is that there's just not enough setup for it. Like we don't have enough comparison of him being himself before he starts getting shitty and right. we have that one set like when he proposes to propose to her and then they have that what looks like a, 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 a at best dubious consent sex scene and so we don't really have their relationship being good to compare it to this it just seems like he might be an abusive asshole from the get-go i, I agree i agree it didn't the transformation is not let me at this point we don't even know that they're oh i guess at this point he does have the shit on his chest right see this is interesting to me because for me and and i'm going to talk about this later but for me there's a very clear line of demarcation with him with leon before he encounters the butcher and leon after uh he encounters the butcher like the butcher grabs him and it's it, it just seems like it was stark change between those two moments in fact i even made a joke while we were watching it about psychopathy being contagious and passed on by touch because i saw that distinction very clearly 
I think that maybe for me, part of the problem is that there's not much difference between his encounter with the butcher and his encounter with Brooke Shields. And so for me, it's like, did something happen with the butcher or did Brooke Shields say, go get me some dodgier pictures? And he was just like, all right. And see, I think some of this confusion could be cleaned up with just sprinkle bits of dialogue just to get more of Leon's character before, you know, where like him trying to get the big art gallery moment, you know, him or Maya saying, you know, I, I, you know, I came from a poor family. I don't want to do that to us. I want to provide for you something, just a little something to, you know, establish a little bit more motivation and where you can see when he goes off the rails, you know, just easy, easy fixes, just little lines of dialogue here and there. That There's not a lot of dialogue in this movie. Is no, there? there really isn't. That's I, I think that's that's probably I, I, like my other biggest complaint about this movie is that like the 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 horror scenes, the death and gore and violence scenes are so frenetic and um, fun that when we get to everything between them, it feels really long and slow because there's so little happening, not, not so little happening, but so little action happening between these really fast paced, like attention grabbing gore scenes, which is maybe one of the things that they're going for. But I would find my, like the, the tonal dissonance between them, I would end up being like, Oh my gosh, I realize I haven't been paying attention for most of this scene here because it's just, <laughs> a very pretty blue shot with nobody talking. It definitely feels like with those shots, it's very much horror films of that time with that kind of filter, highly stylized. It's very much that mid 2000s horror. And I'm not saying that's not, I'm not meaning that that's a dig or anything. That's just it, what it looks, what it feels like, what it is. This is closer to hostile time than like, um, the House on Haunted Hill remake, right? Yeah, House on Haunted Hill was 2000. Hostels in this wheelhouse okay. time. But it's still, I would still, it's, they're all still cousins, if you will. <laughs> they, 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 yeah, they, they have all the big style. Like a, yeah. a lot of the shots feel like the, the House on Haunted Hill remake. Um, and I know that there's other movies like this that I'm trying, oh, um, 13 ghosts yeah, yeah like this just high style high atmosphere movie yeah and this is and this is Lionsgate that did that which I was reading uh something interesting with the whole release of this film and I don't know I mean I maybe this is kind of some of the playing into it but apparently it's supposed to come out May 16th 2008 well they delayed it to August, which August isn't a great time anyway for films, and they only put it on a hundred screens. I was gonna say I don't remember this movie coming out in any theater near me at all because I'm pretty sure I would have gone to see it. Well, and the hundred screens were like dollar shows, like it was like dollar theater, and there was like a whole That's big fucking weird. Yeah, well, there's a whole big behind the scenes drama. Once again, reading about the. Yeah, didn't Clive Barker shit talk the guy that ran Lionsgate about it? Yeah, because the guy that ran Lionsgate decided to put all their marketing and money into the Strangers release, which was also which also came out around May, and the uh, 
produ- the the head of Lionsgate is also has like a producer credit on the stranger. So yeah, yeah, Barker was not not happy at all with any of this. So Barker was into this movie. He was a producer on it. Yeah. He was a producer on it. Gosh. I just why why the changes, dude? Tell me, you were a producer on it. You must know the answer to this question. Why did you make these changes to your, why did you allow these changes to your story that don't make any sense? Because the guy that wrote it also was the writer of the new Pet Cemetery, which was awful. Oh, oh no. Oh. oh. Why oh. do they keep letting him do uh, things? Uh, oh, <laughs> Britain, why did you tell us this stuff? Oh. <laughs> to, to, to calm your, yourselves down a little bit, they do not keep letting him make things. I mean, he's he's done like uh, Night Flyers TV show, uh, The Insanitarium, stuff you've never heard of. <laughs> I'm sorry, I laughed too loud and I cut your audio. <laughs> the ABCs of Death 2. I mean, this guy is not a prolific uh, screenwriter. But somehow he got Pet Cemetery. You know, the thing, okay, so like, on this podcast about Pet Cemetery, uh, Pet Cemetery is one of my all-time favorite movies. I fucking love it. Like it still like scares me to this day, and not a lot of movies scare me. But oh man, Pet Cemetery is so the effects are good. I love the story. I love I, I love Pet Cemetery, and so like I was legitimately excited about this remake because I like remakes. And like, even though the trailer was spoilery as hell with the whole Ellie switch up, I was still super into it. And I was like, yeah, they're, they're like, this switch up is going to be cool. They're going to do some different things with it. It's going to be a different interpretation. And then I saw it and I was like, what did you do? How did you fuck this up? You had the cutest cat. You had a great thing with the rescue cats. Like this was all so good. You had a perfect story handed to you. What the fuck did you do? And the answer is Jeff Bueller. Fucking Jeff Bueller. Sprinkle in some Jason Clark, too. Oh, just, Jason Clark. I need you both to fucking answer for your crimes. But Jason Clark, his body of work is pretty awesome. Just not Pet Cemetery, the remake. He just needs to stay in his lane, which is not horror, because yeah. Winchester okay. was awful. Pet Cemetery. Winchester. <sighs> That's all I'm saying. Just stay in your lane, my dude. Just not. Not in horror. Got it. You know, to me, to me, there's a, uh, you know, that Geico commercial where they're all running from the serial killer and they're like, why can't we just hide behind the chainsaws? Yeah. When Maya and Jurgis go to Vinny's hotel, that's the clear like demarcation of, all right, now we're going to start doing the ridiculous things that people do in horror movies. Up until then, like I could see him, you know, following this guy. I could see him getting, uh, you know, intrigued by this mystery that he thinks he's uncovered. I can like three quarters of the way, see him going into the meatpacking plant at first, you know, uh, but then <laughs> they go to this guy's hotel room. Like what you guys are not investigators. Like Maya's a waitress and Jurgis is what some bougie prick that knows art dealers. I don't know what his job is, but. No yeah. idea. Like his, his entire inclusion in this film. I was like, what is your purpose, dude? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like, if I were going to go breaking and entering with somebody, I think Jurgis would be the last person I would invite to go breaking and entering with. Yeah, I'd rather have Otto with a spatula. I mean, at least it's a weapon. 
Yeah. Yeah. Otto. Otto would be good at breaking and entering. I just feel it. He's a little smarmy. He's probably a criminal. Jurgis knew the credit card trick to unlock the door. That's why. That's fair. That's fair. My friends and I used to do a lot of like um, breaking into abandoned buildings and stuff. Breaking in. It's mostly it's just you find a way in because it's an abandoned building and it's not fucking hard. Um, But like, I cannot imagine a scenario in which somebody would be like hey so there's this murderer let's there's this person that we think might be a murderer let's go explore their their room the place where they live i would just be like what the fuck is wrong with you now they were trying to recover leon's camera that's why they went there but yeah but like that's not a job for me no, it's not. I'm just saying there wasn't no reason they went. There was a reason they went there. It's yeah. Just, they should have let somebody else do it. Right. Because she, she'd already talked to the cops at that point, too. Right. And they were not being helpful. And so they're like, well, we have to do it ourselves. Well, in, their, in the cops defense in the book, they're definitely in on the conspiracy. No. Yeah. Yeah. If you are if you're going to go to the killer's house and break in. You should definitely do it unarmed. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. Don't take pepper spray. I mean, pre- not, not even a stick. Don't prepare. It's fine. Don't, yeah. Don't, uh, yeah. Just go willy nilly. It's not, yeah. Not, not, not even keys in your fists like an idiot. Nothing. Not even a rape whistle. Like, you know, nothing. They were the slowest searchers <laughs> I have ever seen. Like, they were like, oh, we're supposed to be here just taking their time, opening every little thing. And I'm like, my guys, come on. We need, I need you to go faster. This is, this is not going to end well for either of you. We know this. I know there's weird stuff in those drawers, but. Yeah, speed it up. Move, come move on. The camera is not going to fit in that kitchen drawer. Come on. They, need, they, they needed, needed to use warrant rules. Like, if you have a search warrants, then you're allowed to search any spot that could conceivably hold the thing you're looking for. Just search the spots that can hold the fucking camera. It's a big professional camera. Oh, I don't know. Maybe that camera is in the medicine chest. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's where I keep my stolen goods, actually. Well, the whole, the whole movie is a lie, starting with the title. I mean, nothing happens at midnight. No. It does in the book. 205, 315. I mean, we're well past midnight at that point. For sure. Britton, I want you to know you're going to make Billy very happy that you made that point because that has been his <laughs> takeaway since after we watched this. He was like, nothing happened at midnight. It was all. <laughs> it's a damn lie. So I want you to know that your editor is going to be like, thanks, Britton. That was for you, Billy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, then let's go ahead. Do we have anything else before we start a rule poll and quote? I have one more thing. Uh, it is my opinion that no horror movie is complete without a set of boobs. Uh, it is my opinion that no horror movie is complete without a set of boobs. And we got that right at the end or, you know, towards the end. There's a dead woman that he's cutting up and we get to see at least one boob. So this is a true horror movie. snuck it in right at the end got the boobs that's right to to get the credentials you know it's true 
Pick the box. Okay. You've killed Kinsey. Yeah, broke me with that one. That was good. <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, Deb, you have our quote. I do. It is. Please step away from the meat. <laughs> By the conductor, which I love because they're the ones that are like, please step away from the doors. Yep. It was, he delivered that line perfectly. Yeah, that was very well done. There's, there were several mm-hmm. contenders mm-hmm. though. I mean, Bradley Cooper at one time says, I got a train to catch. I mean, come on. There's some really good, good little, you know, Schwarzenegger one-liners in there. But step away from the meat is key. Yeah. I think that is actually a line from the book. Oh, nice. I think that the fathers say it um, to not Bradley Cooper. (laughs) Well, then way to go, Jeff Bueller. He took every what he took away from the book was that one line. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And Britain, you have our rule. Yeah, I think uh, we've already sort of at one point said it in the in with regard to another character, but stay in your lane. I mean, Bradley Cooper, you're not a detective. You're a photographer. Like, what, what are you doing this deep dive, you know? you're going to figure it all out and solve it and, you know, make the arrest and all that stay in your lane. Yeah. What's what? Yeah. I, I, I want to know like what step two of his plan here, like when does he go, like, even if you solve it and you figure out that the cops are in on it, what next? <laughs> well, what next is you go to the meatpacking plant, put on a steel apron and arm yourself with a whole bunch of knives and weird metal scabbards and uh, pick up a hook and go try and kill the guy. It sounds like it sounds like this the, the, this movie needed to be Army of Darkness. Like the end of this movie is Army of Darkness. <laughs> it is, or they, or Bradley Cooper is just following the good advice of dressing for the job you want. <laughs> <laughs> and he gets it at the end. So I mean, this really is a feel good movie. He got the job he wanted. Speaking of the end, the conductor at one point says, we're doing this to keep the world you know, safe, that if not, then these guys will come wreak havoc. But they choose to do it in the most vicious and cruel manner possible, you know? They're just, if all it was, you just put gas in the, in the tank, make them unconscious and, and kill them while they're, they're asleep. But no, we're going to do this in the most violent and despicable way possible. Maya? Because it's, but she's just me. I mean, in the end, she's just me. But they choose to do it in the most vicious and cruel manner possible, you know? They're just, if all it was, you just put gas in the, in the tank, make them unconscious and, and kill them while they're, they're asleep. But no, we're going to do this in the most violent and despicable way possible. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like, why did they have to kill the girl? Maya? Yeah, why? Why? No attachments. So Bradley Cooper didn't have anything to live for but this. Well, sure, but like... But she's just me. I mean, in the end, she's just me. She, she yeah, it, it, like, the thing is, so she doesn't exist in the book. 
she doesn't exist. Jurgis doesn't exist. It's literally like the only characters that are alive in the book are Mahogany and Kaufman. I don't even know if that's his name in the movie. But um, in, I don't know. It feels superfluous and bad to have this female character whose only like purpose in this movie is to be beautiful and perfect and die with it's a like, possible dubious consent scene in the middle. It's like fridging, only it happens at the end. Yeah, it's like long fridging where you have to watch it happen. <laughs> but I mean, obviously they can't let her live because now she's been to the inner sanctum and she's seen the crazy Cthulhu people and like, you know, they let her live and now Leon is the new butcher. It just didn't work. She got to die. Counterpoint, why can't she be the new she butcher? Been a butcher too. Why not two butchers? pretty and blonde and a girl yeah but but leon's already marked with the crazy chest scars yeah yeah that's true we can't put we can't make her unpretty god forbid but if they gave her the chest scars that could have been our boob scene could have yeah was that maggie grace leslie Bibb. no that was leslie Bibb. she was negan from the league oh you know what else she did was uh, during the pandemic, they came out with like this weird princess bride read along thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She was Buttercup. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't watch it. Yeah. But but that's awesome. Yeah. She usually does comedy like she is super funny. Like she does a lot of comedy. Yeah, she was. Uh, I forget her name, but in Talladega Nights, uh, she's she's done plenty of comedy. Yeah, she's Carly, right? Yeah, the yeah, his, yeah, his, yeah, 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 his first wife. Yeah, I don't yeah. watch comedy. I don't like to be happy. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She usually that's what she's kind of. So it was really interesting for me. It was interesting to see her in this, just because I'm like, oh, okay, all right, not what I normally see you in. She's with Sam Rockwell. Yes, she is. Good choice. Good choice. I think I'm supposed to say the poll, but I forgot it. Oh, at what point, if and when, do you think um, Bradley Cooper's character, man, I don't know anybody. In, like, I've seen this movie multiple times and I have no idea what anybody's name is. Leon. <laughs> Leon. Leon. Okay. If, when, do you think Leon lost autonomy? I already said it. I, I feel like the point that, uh, that Mahogany grabbed him, I, I feel like something changed significantly in Leon. At that moment, I think if uh, if it wasn't then, then it was when he noticed that Mahogany was watching him at the diner. Now he knows he's in too deep because now Leon or Mahogany, you know, knows where to find him. And there ain't no going back from that. I mean, you could, right? Like, couldn't you just stop pursuing things? And then he I don't know. Well, at at that point, haven't. Hadn't he already been busted spying on him in the meatpacking plant once? Mm, yeah. 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 So, I mean, Leon or Mahogany knows that Leon is a threat. And so even if Leon quits at that point, Mahogany doesn't know he quit. So Ma- Mahogany just knows that he's a threat. That's fair. Mm-hmm. Though I really think Mahogany already had him pegged as a replacement because there was a, there was the, the last couple of times that Mahogany became aware that Leon was around, he smiled. 
And you could interpret that as I'm going to get him this time, but I feel like it was actually, okay, I'm, my replacement is here. This is, this is working out. This is my way out. Yep. Yeah. I'm having a little bit of trouble remembering kind of the timeline of certain events. Um, but trauma can do that to you. This is a very violent movie. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, <clears throat> you know, yeah. It's, yeah. At some point I, I questioned whether he was, you know, being drawn, drawn in supernaturally versus, you know, just, I'm trying to get these photographs. Um, Cause I don't know. There, there was, I, I, you know, at some point, I think there was a, I guess the second time he was like running after mahogany and pursuing him. And I was like, he's already like shown you that he's a big threat. Like when he grabbed him, like, he's already like, I'm a bigger dude than you, you know? And Bradley Cooper's character was obviously like very intimidated and scared. And, and then later decides to like run full speed, you know, to try and catch up to him so he can continue spying and things like that. And so I was just like, why is he doing that? Unless he's, you know, maybe being drawn in by another force or something. Yeah, I think, I think he was definitely marked with that grab. I like what Donna was saying about that, but I think the final test came when he was basically when he gets physically marked. I think that was the test. If he wasn't considered worthy, I think he would have been eaten. But I think that that's why you kind of kept seeing the the tentacles go across him i think that was the the final test and i think you know it was it's kind of like the vampire infection you know like each bite makes you more and more so it's already you know by the time we the end and he's he's dressing for his job but you're, there. there's something to that because if they didn't have plans for him there's no reason they wouldn't have eaten him yeah i mean if they don't have plans for him, he's just more meat, right? Right. They captured him. They got him. So either they eat him or they they have planned for him to take over for mahogany. Yeah, the fact that he found the pattern, like, I mean, there, there's a lot of things that li- I think lined up for him to be the butcher. Did you notice that the very first scene with that bald guy and the blood and that we don't see a killer or anything like that? Uh, he's the same guy in the last scene. When, when Leon turns around. Right. Yeah. They tied it up nicely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it worked it because he was, he was a pretty distinctive looking guy. And so, yeah, when the camera found him again there at the end, you're like, Oh, we're back there. Kudos, Jeff Bueller. <laughs> a little, a little, <laughs> a little bit of kudos, not a lot. We'll give you what you deserve. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> All right. Do we have anything else? No. I think we've covered it. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. We do appreciate your support. Uh, you can find us on social media. We have got a Facebook page, and which is Beyond the Cabin. Our website is beyondthecabinandthewoods.com. We have a Twitter page, which is at Beyond Cabin. Debbie, what is our Instagram? Beyond the Cabin in the Woods. Uh, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at, at Callista77. I'm on Instagram and Twitter as at Dragon Goblin, only there's no I before the N. In Goblin? Yeah. G-O-B-L-N. G-O-B-L-N. There's also no I before the N in Dragon, like normally, but there could be. Like you're dragging a goblin. <laughs> <laughs>
No, I am a dragon and I'm a goblin. <laughs> See, so I'm a dragon goblin. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Junkyard Poet. You may not find me on Twitter or Instagram because I'm not on them. <laughs> <laughs> but you can find him in ER. That's true. In the episodes Canyon City and The Show Must Go On, playing Dr. Sackowitz. I still have my uh, Clark County General ID badge. Nice. I gave it to my mom as a souvenir. Oh, nice. Aww. Well, thank you guys once again for listening. And as always, thank our editor, Billy, for making us sound super awesome and professional. Thank you, Billy. Way to go, Billy. Billy Bones. Productions. <laughs> <laughs> you, can, you can use that, Billy. Billy, some people think that I named my Dungeons & Dragons character after you. And I'll go ahead and let you believe that. But it's really Carl Urban from The Boys. <laughs> <laughs> and don't read the Latin. You know what horror is. Gumby Cat Productions. Podcasts for podcast people.